0: And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar and saying that there is another King Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. They let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Brera. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica leukemia they received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so many of them therefore believe with not a few greeks not a few greek women of high standing as well as men but when the jews from Thessalonica learned that they would <laughs> learn that the word of god was proclaimed by paul at Berea, Also, they came down there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy returned here. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him, as soon as possible, they departed. These are the words of the Lord. Thank you.
1: (laughs) You're awesome. Man, so... Now y'all know Miss Carolyn, right? Yeah. She all uh, like, Hi, Pastor Ross, you know. But I see how to get you hype.
0: Oh yeah. You do?
1: I just gotta give you a little word. Yeah,
0: you do. Okay. I, got a I
1: just no no, I'm saying you man, as soon as you all start reading, you just lost your mind. Oh. You was up here. I said, Miss Carolyn, you wanna read Yeah. We can I can read and then you went to this passage and now when they had Go on, did girl, all right. you did great. Take, thank you. Didn't you do good, y'all? Thank you, dear. My goodness, my goodness. I know how to how to handle that now. Okay. All right. That's all I need to see. Hey guys, let's pray together. Um. Uh, thank you, Lord. That. I, I just love the fact that I, I get to uh, serve my family. I just think that's just it, made, it. Just makes me emotional. almost That this is what I get to do and. And Lord, I thank you for that, and I don't take it for granted. Um, we pray that your spirit will guide us, that we would, as we are singing and clapping, would that be our, our posture as we are in your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you will continue to bring glory to Christ by allowing your truth uh, to come through. And uh, would you lead me? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you allow me to walk in your ways? Would you uh, be gracious to me, O King? And And we acknowledge that. If, I, if I'm trying to be in the flesh or anything like that, Lord, we pray that you would just strike that stuff down and, and, and truly allow the people of God to get what you do, you want them to get, Lord. So um, that's our hearts. Um, we pray that these guys would be um, responsible um, uh, hearers of the word and, and, and become doers of the word by your grace. Uh, we pray that we have a marvelous time worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a seat, fam. Um, We are back in the book of Acts. Uh, Exciting, but it's exciting. Uh, We're in Acts chapter 17. If you are new, a couple things first. We're passing our Bibles. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. And also, if you need a little note sheet, you can raise your hand, and uh, we'll get that to you as well. We want to remind you that'll be somewhere up in front, I mean, uh, in the back when you come in. as a, as a covenant community we, we love to, we go through books of the script of the scriptures, um, wanting to encourage our faith uh, to understand what God is saying in his word, and then we 're trying in our mad groups in our time here we 're not just trying to go through the Bible but as we go through we 're trying to teach bible study methods and so It really does matter how you um, enter the scriptures, and that's uh, one of our our desires. I want to ask you, if you have questions, please feel free to uh, consider, like, what you're asking, if it's going to help the whole body. If so, raise your hand so we can get clarity amongst the crew. Uh, If I have an answer, that would be great, by God's grace. If not, I'll say no maybe bring it out to the body or come back to you later and help you out. Okay. Um, if there's something specific, we want you to come see me. That's totally feel free to do that. We'd love to, uh, it up with you and talk about the scriptures because our heart's desire is for people to have all the right information by God's grace, as much as we can do on this side of, 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 eternity, uh, so that people can, um, make a right decision for Christ. And so, um, we pray that you would experience the gospel and, and know what, what it means to walk with Jesus and who Jesus is as you are hanging out with us. So that's our heart. Um, to give you uh, the snapshot, we've been through a lot. Uh, every, we have about 40 sermons on act so far that are all online. Uh, So you should go on there. Uh, Our crew has done a great job, Jenny and the crew, uh, putting the slides online for you, uh, putting the notes online for you. So you can literally go back to Acts chapter 1, actually the introduction, (laughs) and flow through and have the notes and the charts and all that. And so we want to just encourage you, if if you're new and you haven't been with us, you got a little homework, go bust that out. If you miss a few, go do that as well. We just want you to be well-versed in what we're talking about, Uh, but hopefully even Acts 17 would encourage you today. I'll just give you a snapshot of where we've been, uh, because we haven't been doing this for a while, so we've got to get back in the game and get all the rust off from everybody, okay? As you know, Luke and Acts started out as one book, um, encouraging Theophilus. When you look at the beginning, uh, encouraging him on the life and works of Jesus. And so you had, um, well, we have more Bibles too. I know, Leah just went to get some more. If you need, if you need one, guys, so raise your hand, please. Um, the reason why we do that is we want you to get used to navigating with the Scriptures and looking at your Bible. If you need one, you can take one. Let us know. Uh, that would be great. We just want you to have the Scriptures at home so you can be reading circling things and just getting used to dialogue with the text in your own time. Okay. Again, this is not about just you coming in and kind of glaze over and just staring at stuff, but it really is about you engaging Christ. So that's our posture. Okay. Um, so you have Luke, the book of Luke, the book of Acts. Um, you have Luke trying to, to prove to Theophilus, uh, a Greek person who's kind of prominent, and powerful, that, man, Jesus Christ actually um, is real. And we want you to give your life to Christ. So I'm going to tell you the life and works of Jesus. So that's how you get kind of the book of Acts, kind of, you know, Luke part two. Um, Jesus, what he tells him is Jesus rises from the dead. He reveals his mission, right? We see this in the book of Acts. Uh, he ascends into heaven. So he comes, rises from the dead. Hey, guys, let me tell you why I'm here. They're all excited. They thought everything was jacked up. Jesus died. Where is Jesus? All my life's messed up. Jesus appears, rises from the dead, validates he's king, changes the whole landscape of everything, reveals his mission. Then he ascends into heaven uh, to be with the Father uh, with these guys looking. He ascends into heaven, but then he doesn't leave these guys by themselves. He sends the Holy Spirit. So this is what's happening as he's birthing this new people of God, this new humanity. He sends the Holy Spirit. Provides these guys power to accomplish the mission that he had told them before, right? And then we start seeing God doing all these cool things through Peter. We start seeing wonders happen, miracles, the gospels being preached to people. God's giving them grace. Many people become Christians. They realize they believe that this Jesus is the only one who can pay for sin. He is the only Lord. He validated that through his resurrection. They become Christians. The church begins to thrive. Uh, They had to... Deal with sin during this time. So you start seeing some things happen in the church where God begins to deal with sin. Uh more signs are done in the local church persecution begins to begin to happen in the local body. So they're preaching the gospel, but all of a sudden they realize there's actually a big cost. They see Stephen gets killed uh, because he proclaims the gospel. They see even more persecution as they continue to go down as they're preaching the gospel. Um, They see James uh, gets murdered as well. So they get leaders are getting killed. So basically you got a lot of stuff going on um, in this book as you're seeing uh, the rise of the early church. And you got to keep in mind, when, when all this is being written, you gotta ask yourself, what is he trying to teach these first century Jewish people? What is he trying to teach uh, Theophilus when he's showing that, man, people are dying for their faith? The faith is growing, it ministered to the Jews. Now that he's out with the Gentiles, He start to see all this. You start to see one of his murderers, right? Uh, Stephen's murderers, Paul, uh, becomes a Christian and becomes Saul, right? You start to see. Uh, You know, James gets killed. Peter gets rescued from prison. We saw that a few weeks ago, right? He's preaching the gospel. He's about to be killed too. see James get killed. All of a sudden, Peter, Jesus decides to kill Peter, uh, kill James, but actually save Peter. Um, Paul goes on after that his first missionary journey. So now he's preaching the gospel to these. Well, first, he always likes to start with the Jews, but he usually ends up preaching to the Greeks because of the hard hearts. Uh, we see this reception of the, basically the gospel being Gentile mostly. We begin to see Paul fall in line with what was going on with James and Peter and the other apostles. And that is more persecution right throughout. And then we see the Holy Spirit leading Paul and his crew uh, to Europe. I uh, remember we saw that supernaturally, how he, the first missionary journey went uh, south and this one is going north and it continues, the uh, Holy Spirit continues to hinder them until they get to water. And then they're like, oh, actually cross the water and go preach the gospel. And they end up uh, preaching the gospel first in Galatia, go over the water and preaching to the Philippians. Uh, we see crazy things happen there. We see uh, the, they go to a, a river and the ladies are all hanging out. He leads all the ladies, these ladies to Christ, right? Then he go, they go to jail, leaves the jailer to Jesus and the jailer's families, so and all of a sudden you got a small church in like, you know, Gentile Europe. All of a sudden you got this Gentile lady, I mean, sorry, you got these, this lady and her family saved, you got the jailer and their family saved. So that's what's happening. We're seeing God show his wonders, show that he's real, show that he's leading people to himself raising up awareness in all the known world, and God is on the move, and he's using his people. So here we are in Acts 17, um, right after Paul has entered into Philippians, preached the gospel, almost got killed, and now he's leaving, okay? Uh, actually, I'm, by the way, remember, he gets beat during that time, too. He gets beat pretty bad. Uh, then they realize he's a Roman citizen. And, right, and you can't beat Roman citizens, so they're in big trouble. But that's awesome, that's awesome because now, because they beat him and they weren't supposed to, he, he basically says, look, I won't tell on you if you don't mess with them, <laughs> right? And so that's where he leads uh, Philippians. And here we are in Acts uh, chapter 17. So we turn to Acts uh, chapter 17. We see um, Silas and the other guys are with him, and they've just been released uh, from Philippi jail, um, which had, you know, had an earthquake. We talked about that. Uh, he's just been beaten. He had those stocks on his legs. So he had the cramps and all that stuff. He was kind of really, really beaten down bad. And we're seeing God be glorified. And then he goes to this place called Thessalonica. We enter into verse 1. Let's see what happens here. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Okay? So Obviously, we've taken a break, but Paul hasn't, okay? He's just got done getting beat down. He's just got done defending this new crew of Christians that he's raised up by God's grace. And now he moves on with his crew, and they're traveling, right? And what's interesting, you see there's a focus. The reason why we know that is because it says he passed through two places to get to Thessalonica, okay? And these places, I mean, they're like, I think... Thirty miles and like twenty something miles I mean it depends on what uh, what historian you want to you want to uh, believe, but between the, say fifty and seventy miles is the trek uh, to actually get to Thessalonica. okay and I, obviously, I, what I love about this is you see the issue of big metropolis being a focal point here is that he was very strategic in about where he wanted to go. And I want to propose to you, one of the main reasons why he wanted to go straight to this place is because it was a, it was a metropolis, and he wanted to uh, be an evangelist. He wanted to share his faith. He wanted to make sure that he can go to the places where he can get um, basically the best bang for his buck at this stage. So, they, so, so he goes to these two places um, and gets into Thessalonica. And let me just uh, first uh, deal with Thessalonica, uh, give you a couple uh, key things about Thessalonica. First... Uh, it was named, doesn't like in, in 315 BC uh, by wife of Cassandra. Cassandra's actually a dude. He was actually one of Alexander's great uh, main uh, friends, main men. Is that up there? Yeah. And, and so he named the city after um, uh, his wife which they, they say might be the, the stepsister of Alexander the Great. I don't really know uh, for sure. Uh, they don't really know. Historians don't really know. It's the capital of Macedonia. And the reason why I'm giving you all this uh, is because it's important to see the places that Paul wanted to focus in on as he was out here doing his, his missionary journey. And it was, uh, it was a seaport, okay, which is important because there was a lot of traffic. And so what you notice here, what you'll see is different uh, than the other places. If you notice in verse 1, uh, it says uh, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, remember, uh, before when he was traveling, there was no synagogue. Do you remember? Right? There was no synagogue. There was just a little place where the people were kind of having a worship service, but there was no synagogue because there weren't many men. Here there's a synagogue, I would say, for two reasons, because there's more people. And also it's a metropolis, Right. So it's a big city. So you guys. So they're so, you know, in a big city, they got all kind of different belief systems and they pride themselves in that. And so he goes to this place, um, goes to the synagogue and it says in, in oh, actually, let me, let me read a couple of verses to you. What usually happens? Let me ask you guys. Do your homework. If you've done your homework, what usually happens when Paul enters to a place and goes to a synagogue? Preaches the word. What usually happens to him? Yeah, right. We've seen, who said that? Yeah, so we've seen over and over again, it's probably been persecution, right? Let me give you some verses just to remind you guys. If you look at verse 45 in chapter 13. But when the crowd saw but when the jews saw the crowds they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by paul uh, uh, reveling him and in verse 1 and 2 of t- uh, 14 it says now in iconium they entered together into the jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of jews and Greeks believed but the unbelieving jews stirred up the gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers and so what usually was happening is they would go to these place he would go to these places he would go first to the synagogue right we talked about because they had at least a framework of what he was talking about they understood Yahweh way to understood the old testament some level and so he was trying to connect some of their previous knowledge to the fact of the messiah and who jesus is so he would go there first but sadly what would happen is when we talk to his cousins as they were (laughs) it wouldn't work out well so maybe it might work out better now we'll see okay so uh, it says in verse 2, and Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, if you have your Bibles, and if I, I would really, I love that sense of reason with him from the Scriptures. I would really circle that and just... Um, cuz that that's going to that's going to play a part in what in what the author's trying to do with these two, two different passages we're in 1 through 15 and he's doing two ver- he's two, doing two different things verse 1 and 9 he's talking about uh, what happened when he went to Thessalonica and then you have from 9 to 15 he's talking about what happened when he went to Berea okay and i want to propose to you that he's that the, the author's intentionally trying to do something here Sandra No, really good question. So, uh, so Sandra's asking, cause we've seen this over and over again, he would go into a synagogue and all of a sudden he would get the mic, right? Now, how is that? Now, see that, that might be new to a lot of us. And I'll say even my white brothers and sisters, but in the hood as an African American, when you visit a new church, or if you know the people and you visit the church, I've had many times, especially they find out you a pastor or something. They like, oh pastor, you got a word for us? Hey, give us a word. Come over here, and I'd be like, no, bro, I just came to hang out. Why you? Hi, I'm Eric. You know, so, so it's not. You know what I'm saying? So it's not. It's not abnormal uh, in, 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 our, in, in the culture I grew up in to get to get the mic. And so in the same way, they knew each other in synagogue. And so when a new person came who was a Jew, right, they, out of respect, or a lot of times they wanted to see if they had a word, had something to say. So they would say, give them the opportunity. So they didn't have to, they give them the opportunity, which was cool on his part because he wanted that opportunity so he could proclaim Christ. Which, by the way, you think of the courage there, right? Think of the courage. You get this opportunity. And you know that, man, think about it. They've been stooped with all this religion. They understand Yahweh. They understand the Old Testament. Or a lot of them do. I mean, it's 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 not monolithic. But you get up. You think you want to build some rapport. Right? Say something cool so that, you know, afterwards, at at the luncheon, you can, like, minister to a couple people. You know what I'm saying? When we try to be wise like that? Right? And this brother gets up every time, and he reasons and talks about who Jesus is, and just puts it on blast. Like, no, we are gonna talk about Jesus. You know, I love Jesus. Y'all thought I love Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? So I just love the fact. I love the courage that it took to take that moment and to seize the day and not worry about method. And we're gonna talk about method in a moment. I think it's gonna matter. Great question, sis. I hope that hope that's helpful. Okay. So so he goes. He's reasoning. To, so he goes in, and I love I love what he does here. He goes in, and look what he focuses in on. Right. What's the main issue? What's one of the main issues for the Jewish person when you think about Messiah, right? Right. One of the main issues for a Jew is that the Messiah had to die, right? That that flipped the script for them. That 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 the conquering king actually would be murdered. That that would be victory. It's kind of bizarre. Right. And so and so for the for for the Jew to help them understand that actually Messiah had to die in order to experience victory was the, probably the main theological hang up for for the Jewish person. And so I love the fact that the first he, thing he talks about is this issue that Jesus had to die. Isn't that interesting that the Messiah had to die? And that's why um, it talks a lot about even in Romans, you know, you look in Romans chapter one, it talks about um, Basically, the, the, the cross being the roadblock. That's the concept. It's his point. It's, you know, when we think, I mean, he's talking about the fact that Christ, that man, Christ having to die on the cross and be murdered and be, be and it, he who knew no sin and to become sin for people. Just the Jew, the first thing, the Jew just was not excited about that. And so he, he wants to make the point that actually the Messiah had to die. And it says in verse 3. It says he, he, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Remember, keep that point in your head, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. You see that? And it's what I love about this. I love that he does it this way because I have my method. You have your method, right? Right. Some of us. I, and, I, and I've seen this. I've been in a game now 20 years, like pastoring basically in some capacity or being a, tr- a Christian leader almost 20 years. And I'm amazed at how we minister out of our preferences and how we make them principles. And so if you came to Christ because someone befriended you for a year and a half, usually you have the high propensity to think the way people become Christians is no, you have to be friends with them for a year and a half. And then after a year and a half and the next day, you can share Jesus, right? That's how you do it. That's what happened to me, right? Or you're on a beach and you're hanging out and you're trying to, you know, live all worldly and fleshly. And someone comes up on a beach to you and tells you about Jesus and the Holy Spirit just, just at that moment decided to give you the grace to believe. And you said, man, I was out here to kick it in Daytona. This dude comes up to me and for some reason I believe this. And I want to give my life to Christ, man. No, I don't want no beer right now. Where's where the church service? Tell me what, and if that happened to you, you automatically think now the only real way to minister to people is just initiative evangelism. Go up and just talk to people about Jesus. Right? So how many of us deep inside have our method? And we go, no. You, or no or I'm just culturally relevant. You know, you got to be like the brothers. You know what I'm saying? If you want to minister, you know, we think we got to be culturally relevant to minister. Because that's the, that's the church you came from. Well, that's what you've been doing. And, my, and what, what we desire as your pastors and as your elders, we desire to train our church. The reason why? So you say, well, Eric, why do you make us go up to people that we don't know and tell people about Jesus? Why? Why do we do all these different kind of modes of evangelism? You know, the reason why? And, and notice that you notice, notice, we at MacEv do many different types of evangelism because we would say that the best method is to be Holy Spirit filled. We would say biblically, that's the best method of evangelism. So we are not called to know one way of doing it. We're actually called to be equipped on how to do it anyway. So that when Jesus and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go right now and just share your faith with no friendship, you will be willing to do it. Because the Holy Spirit told you to and because God has given you the skill set because you've been in a church that has trained you to do that. If the Holy Spirit tells you no, right now I know you got the answers, but this person just needs a hug. They don't need your theology. H- have, cook them dinner, hang out with them, show them you actually love them. If the Holy Spirit gives you that grace, then now you have the propensity and the skill set to love on someone. So what we're desiring to do is to teach you how to be willing to sit next, up, next to somebody on a plane, and you got an hour, and that person comes to Christ because you were faithful or hang out with somebody for five years in a community having cookouts every week and that person comes to Christ because you're faithful. And that neither method is, one, is a biblical method where God says, this is how you do it. God says, I want you to be led by the Spirit, humble in heart, passionate about Jesus, and then let me do what I do. Here's a guy who didn't know anybody. He didn't say, hi, this is who I am. Here's my credentials. He came in, and here's the kicker. He didn't start with the small stuff. He came in and said, I just want to reason with you guys and help you understand that the Messiah had to die. What? 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 Do you see that? So can we as a local body agree that what we're doing is we are wanting to know, can we all say, Lord, would you give me the grace To be willing to do any type of evangelism because you might call me to any type of evangelism. Is that fair? Praise the Lord. So I think I would propose that biblically the best method of evangelism is spirit-filled evangelism. Verse 4. And some of them were persuaded. Now, look at that. So, now notice that uh, that word pathos, I want you to uh, persuade it there. You can underline that word. Uh, it says, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. So, some of these guys heard the gospel, and they're kind of like, well, well uh, oh, like, okay, oh, makes kind makes of sense. And it says, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And notice, I know throughout the scriptures, he shows you over and again how a lot of the leading women were coming to faith. With, with money and stuff like that, which was actually funding the church historically. That actually I proposed to you that the local church, the first century church, would not have existed if it wasn't for the women in the church. Um, so he shows you that, man, people are coming to faith. Um, now this, this this word, it actually has an interesting connotation. It, it, it hasn't mentioned, it's, it's kind of like the sense of, the ideal of of coming to coming to grips with something against your own desires, right? Um, uh, like, uh, or or the framework is like you having like a preconception, and almost like someone has to kind of like beat down and destroy your preconception before we can even get to the truth, and you receiving the truth. Is that anybody in the group in the room here? <laughs> is that anybody in the room? Someone tells you something. You already have how ministry should work. You already know how the Bible should be read. You already know, right? And so if somebody came to tell you the truth, but well, first they got to get past your baggage, right? You ain't just ready to go, man, I'm hungry for truth. You tell me truth, I receive truth, right? And you know, you, you know and it makes you jump out of a window if you think that's how it's going to work. It took me like years to realize, no, you can't just tell people the truth and they respond, that ain't how it works. There's all kind of junk up in here. And so I, for years, Chris, I'm like, but that was the truth. What's the problem? No, 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 no. There's all kind of preconceived notions and baggage and family issues that we all got. And so, so it takes, you know, you hear something that's totally biblical and it's true and you should do it. But you have, for some reason, you're like, I ain't going to do that. Right? Well, God gives you the grace, just like he gave these guys the grace to say, I feel like that, but I'm going to let you... Okay, okay, I'm against my preconceptions. That was totally different than what I ever thought. Let me receive it. Okay, remember what happens there. Okay, that's verse 4. Then it says, but the Jews... So there's a couple of Jews that came to faith, but you, but the, the, the author wants you to see that really it was a Gentile thing, that the, the people who didn't know much about Jesus came to faith, and that's why he even puts them back in verse 5. He says, but the Jews were jealous. Well, you know, a couple of Jews came to faith. Why do you say, but the Jews were jealous? He's saying because like, there were so many of them, it might as well have been all of them. Is the author trying to get you to see, trying to see the, the hardness of heart. Uh, but some, it says, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, um, which means basically, basically crowd that's what that word means so taking the crowd they formed a mob love that right that picture of like big old crowd all right y'all crazy but i want the real crazy ones y'all file come here and then they formed a little mob okay and it says and set the city in an uproar and attack the house of jason seeking to bring uh the guys them out to the crowd okay so we see these, these, these women are added to the body. The leaders don't, they, they, they not only not believe, but they actually take offense, right? So it's not that you say, well, okay, thanks for sharing that, Rabbi, but you know what, we don't believe that. They're like, we need to kill you. What are you, what are you talking about? So they get so upset, they take offense. Um, and it sounds like that they found out where they were staying. Okay, where are these cats staying at? Right? So it's interesting to me because he was at the synagogue. So I'm wondering, how, like, why not just take them there, which I'm proposing. This is not in the text. I wonder, because, again, we love to, to look good in front of people. So I wonder if they didn't want to show out in front of the synagogue. And then they was like, well, where did that brother stand? I'm going to go to his crib. And they grabbed the crew. They went to look, find out where he was. And then they find out that he's staying at Jason's house. Um, and they went to attack it. And verse 6 says, and when they could not find them, they dragged. <laughs> I love this. <clears throat> they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city's authority, shouting, "These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also." And I love. I can't do it like Miss Carolyn. That, when you said "turn the world upside down," you about to. I thought you about to run around the stage. <laughs> they, they turn these men. These men who have turned the world upside down. I love that. That's one of my favorite little uh, little passages of the Bible. That whole concept of turning the world upside down. A couple things I wanted to see here. First. So, so usually what happens is you have these uh, magistrates here who are kind of the head guys, the polytarchs, they called them, and they kind of ran things in the city. These guys, it's, like, it's almost this picture of like they couldn't find the guys, so they said, well, we got to do something here. All right, we're here now, so we're going to take y'all. So, they, so now I love this because notice, Jason and them are new believers. They just, they just come to faith, right? Because they, they weren't Christians yet in the city, Okay. And they were willing to hide Paul and Silas and these guys, and then take the heat. Guys, the heat could have been murder. I, I, I think we can, we can forget that. These could because you have other leaders, right, who beat them and put them in jail a couple cha- a chapter ago. So who knows what the heat could have been? But for whatever reason, these guys were willing to say, "Man, we, we, we hit them. We don't. Hey, you got You can take us, but you can't take them." For some reason, right? And so the missionaries escape, they free Paul, they take the heat, and notice how he describes them, these men who have turned the world upside down. Now, you know, in the flesh, what I want to do right now is I want to really just encourage you to not waste your life. Because I think this passage, I think it has those implications. I love the sense of these men turn world upside down. Do something where you leave your mark in the world. But I don't know if that's what the author is desiring to do. I don't know if this is an issue of you leaving your mark in the world, even though that's an implication. I want you guys to leave your mark. If we're talking a golly mark, like we're, not, like we're not talking like everybody knows your name. But we are talking about, I think, I think there's something about looking at this passage as a first century person. And you now, uh, in this day and age of 2015, and saying... When I look at my life, am I pouring my life out as a drink offering like this? I think that's fair to say. But what I do see that I think seems to me to be more of the tenor, if I'm a first century Jew looking at this, when I see that he reasoned with them from the scripture, is that there seems to be a posture that you and I as believers, we should want, as we preach the gospel, we should want to wreck the security of the unbeliever. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Is that what I love that you see Paul doing over and over again is when you hung with him and you did not love Jesus, you had to wrestle with what was you giving your life to? You had to wrestle with what really matters. You had to wrestle with, am I in line with God's plan? You, have, you had to wrestle with your security. And so I think there's something very healthy. And you see this. And, it, and, here, and you know what happens? When you, when you make someone wrestle with their security, when you wreck someone's security, what's usually the consequence? people get mad when you show when you show someone you you can be nice it's not about hollering at people when someone shows you that you've done something with your life that is stupid it makes you frustrated who who's who's excited about that oh i've given my life to nothing for 20 years no one but see that's the humility it takes to be a believer right The humility it takes to say, wow, I was serving Satan. Now I get the opportunity to serve Jesus. Who am I going to choose? I want to propose to you. Necessarily, that brings about tension. When people say to me, well, Eric, I just, I go my whole life and I've never had an issue with anyone. I go, you should be embarrassed. How can you be a Christian proclaiming this message? of a Messiah who demands your allegiance and nobody get mad at you. No issues. I want to propose to you guys, that's counter scripture. If we stand up, people are going to say in some way, these brothers, and we have that here, right? These brothers turning the world upside down. They keep talking about Jesus. They, they, they give a, a different way than we do. They serve in different ways than we do. They, they're loving they're all radically. They're, they're, they're laying their life down. They're caring for it. What, what is going on here? Right? It's going to bring people to a point of decision at some level. And so we see this here in this passage. And it says... And that's my prayer. I pray for our body that, man, we would learn with great savvy and godliness how to, when people hang with you, that their security in their self or in whatever fake God they have would be just shaken. They would just go, man, like, he has, he's on firm ground. She's on firm ground. What am I standing on? My college? My education? My, are you kidding? Right? Verse seven and Jason has received them. It says, and they and they are all. This is this is uh, the leadership kind of telling on Jason now, right, guys? And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar and saying that there is one, uh, that there is another king, Jesus. So these guys do the na-na tell on them. So they tell on them, right? They, they two big issues. First, these guys are. Are, are going against Caesar, they're saying that, 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 that Jesus is king and, and Caesar is not, right? That they're, they're, they're breaking the laws here. You need to get these guys, right? So they're so, they're so frustrated with them because actually Jesus' claims, and this is why it could have been murder, for these new Christians, remember they just came to faith, because G, Jesus Necessary to believe in Christ, you're saying that, that Caesar is not king, And the people in the authorities, said the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken uh, money and security from Jason, the rest of them, they let them go. So basically, these guys are like, look, um, we got you. Hey, basically, Jason gave him some money, said, look, will you promise to tell it that these brothers will not come back here? And then we'll kind of let it die down. So that's basically how it went off, right? They couldn't find them. You, hey, make sure, Jason, these guys don't come back. And so he said, okay, and they sent him off, right? And so basically that's how it ended up. It seems like, now, now, now notice this. Remember Paul's issue? Remember when he goes and he, he leads someone to Christ, what does he want to do then? He wants to train him up, right? But he, he doesn't have that opportunity because they're, they're about to try and kill him, so he had to leave. So, do you? This is this is probably huge for Paul right now. Thinking, man, well, how are these guys going to going to stay in the faith? Like, what are they going to do with their walk with the Lord? Like, who's who's going to train them up? Well, what's going to happen, right? Uh, you and, and I love God's grace here. Notice on um, a few verses here uh, in. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.9, uh, it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of... this." I love this because as we go through a book in the Bible, we get to see, like, get a little picture of what's going on in other books, right? Because remember, he wrote to the Thessalonians, right? All right? Well, here's the people that he's ministering to who are the Thessalonians, right, as the church is growing. And it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols and serve the living and true God. So he's excited because these guys uh, have... Have turned from idols, to serve the true God, and then we continue on. It says in, in, in Thessalonians chapter two, verse seventeen. But since we were torn away from you, now when you read that, just you read Thessalonians, it's hard to put a picture with that, right? You just read it and oh man, that's messed up. But now you see in Acts what he's talking about. So now whenever you read Thessalonians, you read Thessalonians two. Remember Acts seventeen. Stuff is real. You see that? And it says, uh, from you brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see your face, see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again wanted to come to you, wanted to minister the gospel to you, but Satan hindered us. You see that? For what is our hope, uh, our joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord uh, Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? so we begin to see, actually, he him continually wanting to come to them. But the cool thing is they're, uh, they're still walking with Jesus. Uh, just for the sake of time, let me, keep, let me keep rolling here. Verse 10 says, so we see him wanting to go to these guys. We, we see him. It's heartbreaking because he can't. But in verse 10, it says that the brothers immediately went, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Night came. How do I send these guys to Berea? And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue again. All right? So, how does that work out? <laughs> right? Right. So, what do you, get, what do you, think, what do you think is going to happen? Right? Well, notice this. So, you go from Thessalonica, which is a big time city, to Berea, which is in the Boondocks. You go, they travel like 30 to 40 miles, and it's in the middle of nowhere. In fact, now here's what I love about Berea, though. Now, how many of us as evangelical Christians, have heard or seen a sign of something about Berea, Bereans, right? It's a big deal, right? Berean Church. I mean, half the bookstores in America are named Berean, aren't they? Berean something, right? Well, right, right or you hear people say, hey, man, be a Berean, you know. Why are they saying that? Hmm? Well, look what it says here. Uh, it says, verse 11. Now these Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, right? And we get that all eagerness, uh, examining the scriptures data to see if if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed. And so I want to propose that that whole believed is a play on words of pathos um, in verse twelve, and also that whole concept of eagerness in verse eleven than what we saw earlier in the passage where it talks about those guys being persuaded. Okay? Many of them, therefore, believe uh, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Again, seeing a ton of Greek women with high standing receiving the scriptures and also uh, the men. And so you have this kind of Berean uh, thing. Let me parse out why he says this noble. Why did he say um, more noble? Have you thought about that? Let's parse this out. First, there's a, there's a comparison that he's trying to make. And here's, here's the, the, pair, the comparison is... It's here he's using the word pastal versus patho, okay? And the reason why that's important is because it's not passive, but it's actually active. And so in this passage, the difference is these guys are actually receiving the gospel without the, the, uh, the bias. Uh, now, this now, but what's cool about it, notice how they receive the gospel. And what does it say? It says that they heard the gospel and they searched the scriptures. Right? It says they, they got in the word. So they heard the good news, but then they said, we're not naive. So when you think of receiving with joy and excitement, don't think they're just kind of like, well, whatever you say goes. Actually, in this text, different than the last one, it actually says they took what he said and they weren't just persuaded. Right? It says that they actually said, oh, thank you. And then they saw it to see if it was true. Now, why is that important? Why does the author want you and I to see two different groups of people? Receiving the word in two different very ways, two very different ways. Do you ever think about that? Well, I want to propose to you what he's trying to show us is that there's a difference between the bias sense, right? So if a first century Jew is reading this, I'm proposing that I think he wants us to pause and say, how do I receive the word? Which, Which narrative am I telling? Shayla? Good question. Yes. So yeah, yeah. When they would, when, when visiting people would come in, they would give them the mic and they would just kind of expose the Old Testament passage. Yeah, they would they would talk from the Old Testament. So so these guys aren't expecting them aren't expecting these guys to talk about the way, right? He's just they're expecting him to talk about Yahweh. And so when he now then begins to talk about Yahweh, but then how that informs who Christ is, whoa, what's going on? So the question is, what were they expecting him to talk about when they give him the mic, right? This is a good question. So, so here, here's, here's, here's my challenge to our local body and to, and to my own life is I ask myself, so what does it look like for me as I think about receiving truth, right? What does it take for me to receive truth? Right. Does it does it take what, what, what framework? Because I want to propose to you one of our biggest issues for me personally, and I think also for our, for people in general, is that mainly and don't get me wrong here. The Bible talks about the importance of package, but it seems to me a lot of times people don't receive truth because simply of package. And it seems to me that he's showing a difference here. He's saying that these people wanted what was true. So they just say, oh, there's not, there's not preconceived notions here there, This is what you're saying, this is what you're saying about Jesus I don't know if it's true But there's not, there's not this, this external baggage There's not this stuff that's hindering me from hearing what you're saying I'm hearing clearly And now I want to go back and see if it's true Versus you got to win me over Before I can even decide on if something's true Now I say that because How does that play itself out practically in your life? Which narrative are you? How do you handle that in your small group? How do you handle that in your relationships? What happens when someone tells you something that is actually from God, but you just didn't like that he said it, <laughs> right? How many, you know, I, <clears throat> I, I just, i what I've seen is I've seen us be, I've seen people be way more influenced by their experience Of something versus the truth Of something it's, And I want to propose that God is saying That that doesn't, that doesn't honor him It says here that these people sifted It says they sifted carefully The scripture And so I want to propose here A framework or a method or experience I want to ask that God would give you The grace to not allow those to hinder Or to be the influential Basically sign that something is something you need to receive, right? I, I, I meet people all the time and they say, you know what? Like they'll receive something from me because they like my skill set. And then they don't want to receive it from somebody else, but it's still true. Or they don't want to receive something from me because of my personality, but yet I'm telling you the truth, right? And I want to propose, man, what does it look like to be so hungry for what God wants that you're able to experience the package? And, and trust me, sometimes people have really bad packages. I get it. You say, but you don't know the way this person comes off, right? You don't know how they say this. You don't know how this was done. But I want to propose to you, what would it look like to be so hungry for what God wants that you're able to acknowledge that, see it clearly and say, but I, I want to I be in, in, in the light more than I want to pay this person back or I don't want to give them the satisfaction that they are correct. Or, I mean, fill in the blank, y'all. What hinders you? Are you passionate about? God's truth. All right. My prayer for our body is gospel integrity. I think that's the key to faithfulness. Is that when we have gospel integrity, where you are so concerned and so excited about preserving the, the truth of who Christ is and his integrity, that it will allow you to just embrace whatever God provides for you because you want to be in the light with Christ. It says, These guys, these, so they were more noble. You know why they're more noble? Because of the way it says, man, these guys search the truth, but also the reception of it. So they're more noble than these other cats. These boondock people off in the cut somewhere are more noble. Which is a commentary that the author is trying to help us see that you got the the city folk who should be super cultured. And you got the the cats off in farmland and actually... The the ones who experience the nobility aren't the ones who are supposed to be noble. It's actually these guys. Now, check this out. So, they went down, moved away, thirty, forty miles, and look what it says in verse thirteen. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also there came, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. You gotta be kidding me. You know what I'm saying? I mean. I mean, you think, about, you think about Taylor Swift song, you know, haters want to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> I just, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know how much work that took? I mean, this ain't, they ain't Facebook and stuff. Like, to find out where they went, like where they are, what they doing. I mean, you got to be kidding me. But here it is. So they come, they try to find these guys, they mad. So what What? What they, what they tell these other people? Ain't even your town. You know what I'm saying? But you know what? So if you're a first thing, again, ask yourself, not just automatically, oh, what do I think about this, why would he tell this to these why would he tell this to these first century Christians? Why would he say this? Why why this why are these passages here, right? Here I think this is clear that in the midst of, of persecution, guys, praise the Lord, in the midst of accusation, being accused, infancy. We just saw infancy. You got an infant church that that still thrives apart from the leadership being displaced. Guess what God does? He grows his body. In the midst of all that, God still grows his body. God is sovereign. He's powerful. And people are trying to kill it and stop it and they're accusing and they're beating people and they're persecuting missionaries that just came to faith last week and, and all this stuff. And God still is growing his body. What, is, what does that do for the first century Jew? What does it do for the first century Greek? What does that do for you? When you see that, why do you think he's telling you that? Does that help you to think through, man, if God wants to grow his church and there's nothing that can stop it, he's going to protect his people. He does what he wants to do. When he wants to do it, what does that do for you? In your problem, your situation, what does that tell you? He grew his body. Verse 14. These guys come, stir up the crowd, it says, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the city. Put him in a boat. All right, man, we got to get you out of here, too. Brothers one came, put him in a boat. But Silas and Timothy remained there. And notice that again. Now, Silas and Timothy left last time because they could, their, their life was in danger. But for some reason, they saw it fit that y'all need to stay, take some heat, but make sure these cats, you know, keep growing in the Lord. And I'm going to go away and I'll, call, I'll come send for you. I just want you to see the tenacity of the first century church and the courage. I'm convinced that the first century person reading this, it had to build some courage. Oh my goodness, these guys could die. And they're, they're, they're standing here and it says, and those who conducted um, Paul brought him as far uh, as Athens. See, so he ends in Athens. And after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they, de- they departed, talking of uh, Silas and Timothy. Got something from Paul, and then they departed and joined him. Can you imagine? So they find him. We don't even know what happened. They don't even tell us in scripture. But you don't think those haters came up and saw Silas and Timothy? You don't think they had some words? We don't even know what happened. We know it was crazy enough. They got rid of Paul, right? It's application. What is God trying to teach you guys as we go home and worship Christ? All right? You might, you might think, oh, how does this matter? Why does this matter to me? i want to say against all odds. Against all odds. When you think of these first century were reading this and they're, they're being persecuted. They're seeing people die and they're going, okay, against all odds. God's power. Okay? By his power, he, he will grow this body. He will grow this church. I'm convinced that they are reading that and they had to build encouragement to them. They had to go, okay, I can keep on keeping on. If these guys can give their lives for Jesus, if Jesus can continue to remind me, I see these guys suffering. I'm gonna I'm gonna be faithful. I'm proposing that that one of the things the author wants to instill in you and me when we read these texts is okay, by God's grace, I'm gonna keep on keeping on. I'm gonna keep on keeping on. It's hard. It makes me makes me weary, you know, but I'm going to keep on keeping on. You know what else I think God wants to remind us though, guys? When you think of the first century person reading this and then coming in today, I, I'm convinced that he's just reminding us, man, he doesn't do these wonders, these supernatural acts, all these things you're seeing. He doesn't do it without the people. God uses ordinary, even subordinary people <laughs> to accomplish his purposes. See, we can stand up here every week and say, hey, just be inviters, you know, and you get that weekly email on Wednesday and you barely read it because you think it's the same information. I know you. And we can try to empower you and tell you, please, neighbor, go out. Ask the Lord to allow you to yield to the spirit. Make make Christ known. Bring somebody here. Tell somebody what God is doing in the community. And if God's people don't act, you won't see God's movement. That doesn't sound spiritual, does it? But I want to tell you it's biblical. God uses his people. And maybe, you know, in the flesh, you want to do a sermon all about courage and all this stuff in this passage. I don't think we do a sermon on it. But I want to propose, I think, that you can see what, what God uses as people. What are some attributes? What, is he, what, is, what do you see usually in those people? I think, you know, you see courage, gospel courage that I see in this room, that God has blessed us with gospel courage. He wants to use that when you go out, guys, in each other's lives, in our community. You see, biblically sound, that's why we don't just sit around here and make ourselves feel good with pithy sayings, but we exposit the passage because I want you to know what the Bible says. So that when you go to somebody, I want somebody to say, man, I, I had I had Megan get up and then she started reasoning with us in the scriptures about why Jesus is the Messiah. That's what I want to hear. Anne was talking to me as a neighbor and she reasoned with me from the Bible. Why Christ had to die. I was hanging with Maggie and at work. And then she began to tell me what this whole substitution meant. Why was Jesus substituted for herself? So we come here and we do our Bible training and we go to Matt group, not just to we want to encourage each other, but so that we can be trained to be biblically sound. So that truly, when you talk with someone, they see the answer that the hope that had that you, that lies within you. They see it and they can hear it and they, and you clearly articulate it. Right. You see that here. Paul had to know the Bible to reason with a bunch of rabbis and all those people up in there. Love. And you see love. These seem to be some key, some key aspects, you know. Him loving cats to the point where, man, he probably had to. I don't think was like Paul getting a boat and Paul's like, all right. You know, I'm sure they probably said, Paul, look, man, I know you want to stay. You got to go. I said, no, I need to disciple these people. No, Paul. Look, Paul, we'll stay. We'll stay, okay? I wonder if it was like that. I wonder if they were like, we wouldn't just all go. And then Paul, like, no, I can't leave these, I can't leave another group. He said, okay, I know they'll kill you. We'll stay. There seems to be an evidence of love and faithfulness that we see. And he's available, He's, he's, (laughs) he's there, and he's talking with the people, he's determined. I think one of the biggest traits that you have to have as we neighbor, you've got to be determined in Christ and say, whatever comes, I'm here. I'm a neighbor and it's going to be good times and it's going to be bad times. But by God's grace, would you allow me to be a rock? I think, I think those are some of the things that the first century person saw when they read this passage. I pray we would be encouraged. Here's what we're going to do. I want to give you um, a next step. And then I want to bring up my, as I'm, as I'm sharing with you, bring up our guys who do tithe and offering. We can do that. I want to ask you to really be prayerful. As you look at this passage, I want, to go, I want you to go back to the passage. And I want you to ask the Lord, Lord Jesus, would you allow me to continue to figure out and find where I'm at when in realm, in a reference to truth, Lord, do I, do I find myself receiving truth and trying to be as unbiased as I can? Because no one thinks they don't receive truth, right? That's, whole, that's the whole definition of deception, right? Deception is you think you okay, right? So no one goes, yeah, I, I hate truth. You know, you don't see many of those kind of people, okay? So I get it. But I want to propose to you. That to ask yourself I think you know some of us know that there's certain people you want to hear from you have certain mentors in your life and you know what the the sad thing that's all you will hear from you've had a pastor sometime you've had a girl in your life and you think to she Jesus and somebody else tells you something you just you ain't like Jenny you walk off you know Somebody don't teach like the person you knew and you think, well, there's no value here. You know how arrogant that is? And I am gonna propose, it's it's a trick of Satan because he was supposed to be a Berean. He wants us to go, what, will you say something about Jesus? What passage? What verse is that? Cool, thank you, thank you so much. That's cool you screamed on me, you spit on me, but that's cool. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Uh, You whispered that, but you, you you said the word, good. That kind of passion. So, so do some work. Do some work in your mad groups, in your, within your loved ones, and say, like, how do I receive truth? How excited am I about learning more about God and learning more about what he says about me? Okay? And then I want to ask you, as we see God saying he uses his people, how is God using you in this community? I pray you will be inviters. Let's be inviters, guys. Let's be encouraged and tell people, hey, come here come with me. First, hear the gospel through me and then come with me and see the covenant community. And finally, the one that I'm getting on you all the time, when you're inviting people, be on time. Okay? Guys, I get it. I have five kids. It's crazy. It's a hustle on Sundays. But we blessed y'all. We moved to cert. We're meeting at 10, right? A lot of churches in the community meet at 8 o'clock. We're hooking you up. Okay, I go down the street, I was helping a friend this morning, church, down the street on Mac, they all, cars everywhere, it's 8 o'clock. So guys, do you think, okay, yeah, can I confess, is there some flesh in me that just wants our people here? Okay, I'm sure there is, I'm not Jesus, but I'm sure also I'm convinced that this is highly theological. People want to experience the gospel, you invite them here and ain't nobody here. Y'all come waltzing in, it doesn't help the picture. Of what, of what God wants to do in his body. It doesn't, it doesn't encourage the people guys, but also guess what? It's hard for you to prepare your heart when you hustling here, right? You come in on a second. So now you, you, now it's hard for you to be engaging and preparing your own heart. There's something if you, if you, when you read the Bible of the timeliness of preparation for worship. I want to propose not just to be here at 10. I want to propose to be here early so you can chop it up with some people, talk, drink your coffee without burning yourself trying to get in here. Oh, my goodness, the music. You know what I'm saying? Stuffing down bagels and stuff. Like, no, just get here, eat your food, talk with some people, get your mind right, come in here, sing some songs, be meditating on Jesus, and inviting people into a gospel expression. All right? There's a couple, couple practical things. And you're like, man, why are you getting on me about coming to service? Because I want to be I want to be a good pastor to you guys, okay? That's why. All right. Here's what we're doing. Praise the Lord. We're doing tithing and offering.